when was the last time someone bothered you? When w- don't say it out loud. They're right next to you. When, w- <laughs> when was the last time someone bothered you? Just, just think about it for a moment. For most of you, it doesn't take long. You know, it's, like, it's, it's immediate. And, and maybe it already happened this morning. Maybe a family member, maybe spouse, child, neighbor, roommate did something already this morning that bothered you. If you drove here this morning, it's highly likely someone's already bothered you today. That's why I brought the bike. You know, it's just, it happens. But just think for a moment, when's the last time someone bothered you? Maybe this week it was a coworker did something towards you, a boss who spoke something about you and just bothered you. When was the last time someone bothered you? Now, it may not be just one instant. It could be that there's an ongoing relationship where that dynamic is at play. Could be a family member, could be a spouse, could be someone in your city group, could be a coworker, where it's not just one thing. It's like they, they're kind of continually bothering you. When was the last time someone bothered you? Now, second question, how did you respond? How did you respond when that person bothered you? I want you to keep the answers to those questions sort of in the back of your mind for a moment. Because the passage we're about to look at in 1 Peter 3 has a ton to say about how we're meant to respond to those who bother us. But before we get into the details of it, we first need to kind of understand why in the world does Peter address this topic of how we're to respond to those who bother us? How does that fit into kind of the flow of what he's been talking about? Well, to understand that, you have to remember that one of the key themes in 1 Peter is this. Eternal hope changes everything. Eternal hope changes everything. You see, Peter's writing to a people that he says have been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And as God's newborn children through faith in Christ, they have an eternal inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for them. They have eternal hope. And then the assumption throughout the rest of the letter is that our eternal hope, having an eternal hope radically transforms the way we live right now. Eternal hope just radically transforms the way we live now. You see, instead of living for just the, the small benchmarks of life, instead of living for like getting a degree or then getting out of the debt of that degree, or then getting a job or excelling in your career or getting married or having children, or if you're like me and maybe you've had a rough week, you're 30 years old and already like fantasizing about retiring. You know, it's like whatever it happens to be, if you have an eternal hope, you no longer live for these benchmarks, but you live all of these benchmarks for a totally new purpose. See, as we've been learning throughout 1 Peter, if you have an eternal hope, it radically transforms your purpose in life. Instead of living for yourself, you live so that others will see your good deeds and glorify your God. See, that's our purpose. If we have an eternal hope, then our purpose is to live our lives in such a way that people look at us and go, even though I don't totally agree with what you believe, I'm kind of dazzled by this God you must believe in. That's our purpose. But then in 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 8, Peter makes this shift 
See, he has in mind this purpose we're meant to live for. We're meant to live so that others will see our good deeds and glorify our God. And now he zeroes in on the way we respond to those who bother us as a primary way that we're meant to live so that others see how much we love our God. You see, there's something unique about the way you respond to those who bother you that really displays who you truly are and what you truly believe in. So Peter is saying the way you respond to those who bother you has everything to do with your eternal hope in this God who's caused you to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So with that in place, let's get into it. How are we, in light of our eternal hope, meant to respond to those who bother us? 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 8. He says, finally, all of you. Now, that's, that's actually pretty significant when he says all of you, because if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, Peter's been addressing little segments of the church. You know, so he talks to employers and then employees and husbands and wives and governing officials and those governed. But now he's saying, look, all of you, all of you together, if you want to live your life so that others will see it and glorify your God, he's saying everyone, listen in. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Here's a big idea Peter's getting at this morning. How do you respond to those who bother you? If you have an eternal hope, Peter's big idea is this, bless those who bother you. Bless those who bother you. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to bless someone? Well, most fundamentally and narrowly in the New Testament, when it says to bless those who bother us or bless those who persecute us or bless those who hurt us, it's talking most narrowly about praying for them. You see, blessing most fundamentally is not something you can do. It's something you ask God to confer. Blessing others is asking God to pour out his abundant mercy, grace, blessing on the life of another. See, this is coming straight out of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he says to bless those who persecute us by praying for them. So, How do we respond to those who bother us? Peter's saying, bless those who bother you, which most fundamentally means pray for them. So again, back to our question. When was the last time someone bothered you? What was it like? Who's hurting you? Who's got it out for you? Who's making life just a little bit more challenging for you? Peter's saying, in light of your eternal hope, instead of reviling them in return, instead of responding in kind, instead of one-upping them, instead of all of that, pray for them. When they bother you, when they hurt you, you pray for God's blessing and grace on their life. That's what it most narrowly means to bless those who bother you. Now, you can expand that a little bit to our actions. And I would say blessing those who bother us, if we expand it a bit, really means we don't give people what they deserve. Blessing those who bother you means you don't give them what they deserve because God in Christ has not given you what you deserve. You and I deserve judgment. Anything else is blessing. 
And so love seeks the good of others. Love seeks to extend forgiveness and, if possible, seek reconciliation. Love believes the best about other people. See, so often when people bother us, we're interpreting the situation, right? I'm interpreting that you're out to bother me. Love assumes the best. Love seeks the good of the other. And so what Peter is saying most fundamentally here is not do one thing when people bother you. See, it takes wisdom. It takes wisdom to know in a particular situation how you're meant to bless those who bother you. But here's the big idea principle. Whoever's hurting you, whoever's speaking against you, whoever's bothering you, in light of your eternal hope, bless them. Most fundamentally, by instead of speaking negatively to them, ask, speak to God on their behalf. Bless those who bother you. I personally am a living testimony to the power of this. When I was 14 years old, I was living away from home at a gymnastics training center, and that was the time that I met uh, the first Christian I'd ever known. Is a guy named Caleb. And this dude was exactly who my parents warned me about before I left home. He's, my mom called them religious fundamentalists, which basically meant like they went to church and liked Jesus. But, you know, that was vilified in my home. So he went to church and he loved Jesus. And so I thought, oh, this is a religious fundamentalist. He reads the Bible. He's got even one of those cases for it, which I thought was super weird. You know, and so what did I do? I would just make fun of this kid. You know, it's just like kid stuff. But, you know, when you're 14, that really hurts people. And so I would just, he'd talk to me a little bit about Jesus. He, he never crammed it down my throat, but I always made fun of him about it. And even worse, like me and my friends, we'd kind of exclude him from things. He just, we never let him kind of on the inside. I always just gave him a hard time, not just about loving Jesus and going to church, but also because he had such weird ideas about girls and sex and alcohol. And I was like... And, and like, I liked him fine, but I just made fun of him anyway. And he was one year older than me. At 15 years old, this guy loved Jesus enough that he never insulted me in return. I cannot remember one time. Now, that's a high bar. I'm not saying like you're always going to do that, but it was basically through the reality that he never cursed me when I cursed him that my heart started to open to the whole idea that there really was a Jesus. Because his life just put it on display, and it made me more and more curious. And now, for those of you who are in a relationship like this, let me just tell you, it took probably two years before I actually was open enough to go to church with him and became a follower of Jesus myself. So be patient. But he blessed me when I bothered him, and it changed my life forever. And that's what Peter's saying. You want to live your life so that others will see your good deeds and glorify your God, then really particularly bless those who bother you. Now, can we just level with each other for a moment? Like I like to say, just among us girls, let's be honest for a second. This is, first of all, the most joyous, but secondly, the most difficult way to live. I mean, really, it's so nice to... Everyone loves the idea of this, right? You love the idea like someone, someone curses me and I just bless them. And you're going to be driving home in like five minutes and who your theology is going to be put on the test. You know, everyone loves the idea of blessing people who bother us in the abstract. But what about real life? 
I mean, let's be honest, this is a joyous but insanely difficult way to live, that every time your spouse bothers you, you're going to pray for them instead of pointing out like, hey, you bothered me. And, and, and it's not to say that that's not always, a, that's certainly, it's appropriate to speak the truth in love. But blessing others means you speak the truth in love, not like, I just want to point out what a moron you are again and again and again. So we all love the idea of this, but I love that the Bible is just so realistic. And so what Peter does is he doesn't just tell us, bless those who bother you. He's going to spend the rest of this passage telling us why we should, trying to motivate us. Because Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is no fool. He knows you love the idea of it, but when the rubber hits the road, this is really, really difficult stuff. And so he's going to give us three reasons, three pieces of motivation for why we should bless those who bother us. And here are the three reasons, and then we'll dig into them. The first one is that we should bless those who bother us because eternal blessing is coming. Secondly, because Jesus is Lord of our trials. And third, your destiny is with Jesus. Now, look, I know that those are all supposed to start with like the same letter, because if you're a good pastor, that's what you do. But we're just going to have, you're going to have to stick with me this morning, okay? So let's get into the first one. We bless those who bother us, first of all, because eternal blessing is coming. Let's read again, starting in verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Blessed because an eternal blessing, if you're a follower of Jesus, is coming. You've been born again into an eternal hope, eternal blessing. Now, at face value, this passage looks like it's teaching works righteousness, right? You notice what it says? It says, bless that you may obtain a blessing. So you're like, whoa, 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 hang on. I thought that we were justified on the basis of Christ's work and our faith alone. Now it's saying that I'm going to receive a blessing only if I bless. What's going on here? Do you have to earn your eternal blessing? Well, we know you don't have to earn your eternal blessing because of what we've already seen in this letter. That Peter has said that we received our eternal hope through being born again. Now, how much did you contribute to your first birth? None. Okay, same thing with your second. You didn't earn your eternal blessing. It was something that God gave you by way of Jesus Christ. Yet, throughout the New Testament, and this is so important to see, throughout the New Testament, the biblical authors always seem to be saying simultaneously, You do not earn your blessing. It's something that's given to you by grace. And yet, if you've been given it, the necessary evidence that you have it is that it changes your life. So Peter has no problem saying, you need to bless in order to obtain a blessing, not because you earn 
your blessing, but because it's evidence that you have it. Necessary evidence. So he's saying, bless because that's the way you display you have an eternal blessing. In other words, the reason that we bless others is because eternal blessing is coming. Now, why is that so motivating? Why is it so motivating to bless those who bother us that knowing that, why is it so motivating to know that we have an eternal blessing coming? Well, I think the answer is in verses 13 and 14. It says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if, or indeed, I think it's just restating the same idea, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Now, I don't think what Peter is saying here is, hey, if you just generally live a good life, no one's going to bother you. Most of your, your experience bears out that that's not actually true. And also, that would be, I think, awfully strange for Peter to be saying to a people that he seems to be assuming are living good lives and telling them, don't be so shocked that even though you're living a good life, you're suffering. In fact, you're suffering because you're living a good life as a follower of Jesus. So what I think he's saying here has to do with what he says at the end, you will be blessed. What Peter is saying is this, you have an eternal blessing. So the temporary bother that comes to you, it's not going to ultimately hurt you. He's saying, who can ultimately hurt you if you are a follower of Jesus and have an eternal blessing coming? No one. See, what Peter is saying here is the reason that you can bless those who bother you now is because that bother is just not going to last forever. It's not going to last forever. It's going to be replaced by eternal blessing. So he's saying, in light of that, bless now. Because you have an eternal blessing coming, you can bless others here and now. So here's a question for you. Are you bringing eternity into your present? Are you keeping this eternal blessing in front of you so that when people bother you, it's just part of who you are? Okay, I'm going to bless, not because you did something worthy of a blessing, but because God has blessed me with an eternal one. Are you making that part of your life? See, if you've been around City Light for any length of time, you've probably heard us say, you are the most influential preacher in your life. Mike Anderson, as amazing as he is, is not the most influential preacher in your life. You are, because no one talks to you as much as you do, and no one listens to you. This is for darn sure. No one listens to you as much as you do. What kind of sermon are you preaching to yourself each day? See, most of us wake up, and we listen to ourselves, and we tell ourselves bad news. See, if you want to live in light of your eternal hope, you're going to have to preach to yourself about that. Like when you wake up in the morning and you're just looking at the day coming and you just have that sinking feeling. You've got to remind yourself of what is true. I've been born again through the resurrection of Jesus into an eternal hope that is unfading. So whoever bothers me today, it's nothing in compared to the eternal blessing that's coming. Cram that into your heart every morning. Then it'll be more fundamental over time for you to bless others who bother you in light of your eternal blessing. 
Second reason, second piece of motivation that Peter's going to give us to why we should bless those who bother us comes as we look at verse 14 through 17. I'll read it. It says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will. By the way, I take that to mean that all suffering that comes to you ultimately is allowed by God himself. Doesn't, if you're suffering right now, if people are bothering you, that is not something that is shocking God or taking him by surprise. He's allowed it. He's allowed it. Even if that should be God's will, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Here's the second reason why we can bless those who bother us. Jesus is Lord over your trials. Jesus reigns as Lord over that bother that's coming to you. You don't know why we get so upset when people bother us. A clue to it is in this phrase where Peter says, have no fear of them nor be troubled. You want to know why you and I get so upset when our spouse or our roommate messes up our schedule, messes up our plans, or maybe just fundamentally messes up our expectation for life and what like marriage or a living situation can be like? You want to know why that upsets us so much? Because it's terrifying. It is terrifying because when people bother us, it confirms our deepest fears that we're not in control in this life. We can't make everything go our way. We can't control our schedule so that we get everything done. And it is terrifying. When someone comes your way and bothers you, the reason we get so upset is because it confirms that deep-seated fear that I'm really not actually in control of this life. That control is just an illusion. So what's the answer? Notice what he says in verse 15. Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. The answer to that terrible fear that comes when people bother you is to turn to the Lord Jesus who is in control. The answer is to inaugurate Jesus every day, again and again, as Lord of your heart so that you don't have to be in control. The answer is to roll all your hopes again and again over onto Jesus who is Lord over your trials and allows them to come to you for your good. You see, whatever, whoever and whatever is bothering you right now, if it were better for you for it to not exist, it wouldn't. Jesus is Lord over your trials. So if trials are coming to you, it's because the sovereign Lord Jesus is allowing it for his glory and your ultimate good. See, you can bless those who bother you because you can trust that Jesus is Lord over the bother that's coming to you. So every trial is an opportunity to rely not on yourself and to not become afraid because your fears of not being in control have been confirmed, but every trial is an opportunity to depend not on yourself, 
but on the Lord Jesus who is in control, even of the trials that come to you, even of the bother that happened to you this morning. You know, when I was um, a freshman at Penn State on the uh, gymnastics team, there were, I had become a Christian not long before going off to Penn State, and there were these guys on my team, upperclassmen, that it was like their life goal to corrupt the little Jesus freak. That's, that's what they call me. And that, that was like their goal. And so every party we went to was making fun of me for not drinking, trying to get me drunk, trying to get me to hook up with girls. It was just this game that they played. They wanted to corrupt me, to prove like, you know, no, man, I know what you say, but this is Penn State. Everybody goes crazy. And I hated them for it. I absolutely hated them for it. And the reason I hated them, again, is because they were confirming my deepest fears that I wasn't in control. See, I had an expectation of what my college experience would be like. And they were ruining it. I was like a new follower of Jesus. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to witness these guys. I'm going to tell them how much Jesus loves them. And they were totally botching my plan for their life. And I was furious with them about it. And thankfully, I had a really strong Christian community at Penn State. By the way, if you're going to bless those who bother you, just as an aside, you really need to be committed deeply to a Christian community. People who are constantly able to remind you of the blessing you have in Christ. So if you want to bless those who bother you, maybe a most practical thing would be like commit to a city group so that you can have a community of people around you reminding you of your blessing in Christ. So you can just check that on your Connect card and you've applied the sermon. Good job. But these, these Christian friends of mine just asked me, like, what do you think it is that Jesus is doing in your life through this trial, through them bothering you? And I realized that the answer was in 1 Peter 3.15. Jesus was using this trial to pull me toward him that I would worship him as Lord over every part of my life, even receive this trial from him as a means of depending on him more. And that changed everything. I, 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 slowly but surely, I started to pray for these guys, started to hate them a little bit less. And then I actually started like a Bible study in our locker room because I thought the only way I'm going to stop hating these guys is by moving toward them in sacrificial love. Amazingly, some of them started coming to the Bible study and I had over the course of like a few years the opportunity to tell them the reason why I wasn't constantly retaliating. There, It was so hard for me as I started to beat them in gymnastics to not just like, oh, I'm going to hold this. Oh, you're not traveling to the meet this weekend? Well, you know, it was just so hard. So I was like, what am I going to do? And so I was like, I just have to move toward them in sacrificial love. So let me just encourage you. Whatever trials you're in, or even if you're just growing weary, as you're trying to move toward your friends who don't yet know and love Jesus because you love them so much. By the way, if you're one of those friends, the reason, you know, your, your friends around you that are part of this church, one of the reasons they love you so much is they believe Jesus just loves you deeply. If you're growing tired in that, turn to Jesus who is in control. Roll your exhaustion over on him. And be patient in moving toward people in sacrificial love. They are people, not your projects. No one's your project. The reason we can bless those who bother us 
is because that bother is ultimately coming to us through the hands of Jesus, intended for his glory and our good. If he didn't want you to be experiencing it, if it wasn't ultimately best for you, you wouldn't be experiencing it. Now, finally, as we close, one last reason. Because Peter knows, man, this is really hard. He's going to give you one more reason why you should bless those who bother you. And here's the reason. Because your destiny is with Jesus. Your destiny is with Jesus. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered. So you see what Peter's doing? He's saying, oh, you're suffering? People are bothering you? Well, guess what? You're following Jesus, and he suffered too. But in a beautifully unique way, look, it says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. Jesus never suffered for anything he did when he went to the cross. See, in the Bible, the consequence of sin is death. But Jesus went to the cross and died having no sin. Why did he go to the cross? For Christ also suffered once for sins. He was dying not for his own sins, but in our place for your sins and for mine. That's the heart of the gospel is that Jesus took our sin, the death penalty we deserve, the eternal judgment that was coming to us, he took it on the cross. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh so he's physically killed, but being made alive in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit made him alive, physically resurrected from the dead. Why should we bless those who bother us? Because our destiny is with Jesus. On his way to glory, and in order to reconcile us to God, what did he have to do? He was bothered to the point of death on our behalf. So we too, if we're with Jesus, we will be bothered on our way to our eternal hope as well. Your destiny is with Jesus, so yes, you may be bothered now, but ultimately, victory is coming because Jesus was victorious over Satan, sin, death, every earthly power. And that, that's what Peter's now going to tell us, like how incredible that victory was. Say, Jesus was victorious over all of it. Your destiny is with him. So he says that he was made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. If you've ever read Genesis in Genesis chapter 6, in the days of Noah, there were these evil spirits, these demonic beings who raped and impregnated women. It's a bizarre passage of Scripture. They had sexual intercourse with them. Evil spirits. And so what this passage is saying is Jesus is victorious over even the most demonic powers. That's how you know you're going to be victorious over this bother that's coming to you. Jesus was victorious and proclaimed that victory even over these evil, demonic forces that existed in Noah's day. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were being brought safely through water. So the ark, ark and through water, eight persons saved everyone else, judgment. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Just as they were saved through the water, and water meant death for others. So baptism is a picture. You go under it, it's a picture of your, of your death. Your old you is dead, gone. But as you rise, it's to new life. It's a picture. 
So he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body. So it's not automatic. It's not like, oh, if you're baptized, then you're automatically saved, like getting a bath and dirt being washed away. No, he's saying, no, that's not how it works. But as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Jesus will reign forever over all earthly powers. He was bothered to the point of death on our behalf by us for our sins on his way to it. So if your hope is in Christ, though you die, you too will rise. And so who can ultimately hurt you? What can this temporary bother really do to you forever? Nothing. So in light of that, bless those who bother you. Bless those who bother you because eternal blessing with Jesus is coming. As a quick aside, you guys will have an opportunity to be baptized if you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus before in just a a few, few weeks. I just encourage you, the reason Peter brings this up is that baptism is a sign that with Christ, you will be victorious over the grave. So it's a beautiful picture and it proclaims to everyone that you're with Jesus, your destiny's with him. That's why you can bless others. So if you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to just even write that on your card so that we can get you more info about it. It's a picture of your victory in Christ. So what's Peter saying? Well, he said a lot. This is a really long passage. But at the heart of what he's saying is this. Jesus died once for sins. The righteous one died for the unrighteous to bring you to God. If you've put your faith in Christ, you've been adopted as God's child. And the inheritance you get as God's child is pretty incredible. It's an eternal hope, an eternal blessing. And in light of having that blessing eternally, the way we should respond to those who bother us is by living so that they'll see the way we respond and glorify our God. How do we do that? Bless those who bother you.